every single morning, my alarm clock is the NASDAQ bell. And I, and I trade, I swear to God, hand on Bible. I trade for the first two hours of every single morning, every single day. That is how I wake up. That's my alarm clock. Hello and welcome to e-commerce uncovered. I'm your host, Matt lady. Thanks for joining. If this is your first episode and even more grateful, if you're a returning listener each and every week, I get to chat with and learn from a wide variety of passionate and intelligent founders, operators, and practitioners in the wonderful world of e-commerce. My mission with this show is to help you uh, help more brand D2C founders grow and scale profitably. Today's episode is with the CEO and founder of Audit, a bookkeeping agency to help fast-growing e-commerce brands keep their financials in check while they continue to scale. Without further ado, please welcome Saman Izadir. Thank welcome, you my for man. having me. I appreciate you. You bet. Thanks for uh, taking the time. So let's just let's just like. What's like the biggest, what's, what's a super common mistake or thing you see when you're looking at financials with brand founders and like, what's a common problem? What's a common mistake? And then Nate, like, what's, what's that one that has a relatively easy or low friction solve? Honestly, I think they're all pretty relatively low friction fixes, but fundamentally here's the problem. People that own direct-to-consumer brands are usually really good marketers or really good with product or know a thing or two about organic social. They have like one or two really good quirks about them. And if they have the right product market fit, they just blast off, right? Like they're, they're going for it. But that doesn't mean that they know anything about financials. And honestly, like I used to be a DTC operator. Like the last thing I gave a shit about was like, what does my PL look like? What does my balance sheet look like? I'm like, okay, like there's this amount of money in my bank account. This is how much I spent on product. This is how much I'm spending on media buying. And if I have an uptick of how much money is in my bank account the next day, that means I'm probably doing something right. But then like you, you go from idea to business to like, holy shit, I'm actually generating sales. And now it's like, I have net terms, I have credit cards, I have a loan payable, I have all this stuff going on. And then you're like, I don't know what the fuck is going on. So I think it's a really good problem to have to have like messed up books because it means you're doing something right. But naturally, like we're not financiers, like we're running a business and we're scaling and we're creating products and enriching experiences and so deep in that, that the books just get left behind. But what ends up happening is like, let's say you want to do a seed round or a series A or a series B, wh wherever you are along that journey, any type of venture capital, any type of debt, any type of loan outside of like Shopify capital, which we can get into later. But all of these different institutions are going to want to see clean books and they're going to want to have a deeper understanding of what's really going on. And like we ourselves as the operators, if our books aren't clean, don't even know what that story is. So essentially what we try to do is unravel everything that's going on through all of their sales channels, their payment gateways, their bank accounts, their credit cards, their loans, and paint a picture so they know what's going on. And ultimately, once all that's cleaned up, not only are they ready for investment, but they can make better business decisions. It's almost like attribution. Like you don't know what your attribution is. Then you start using a triple whale. Then you kind of have an idea of what's going on. Like that's what it is with your books. 
because now you can purchase product better. You know what your account payables are, your receivables are, how much cash is coming into your bank, how much you could spend on media buying, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that's how it really all unfolds. Sweet. That's a good, that's a good start. We have a lot to work with, with that. Um, it's very common uh, for people to be that good marketer, good product person as a brand founder, and then have to learn the other stuff uh, later on. So, um, yeah, true. And, and, and so with audit, you guys like help those founders kind of just take over that piece. They don't have to fully learn it and do it themselves and worry about it that much. So you guys are full service bookkeeping agency. So like what, why is that? Like, why would you recommend you guys to a founder instead of like telling them to do it themselves? Well, because if you're doing it yourself, there's a couple core problems. One, you don't really know what it is that you're doing properly. And two, it takes up a lot of time if you were to do it yourself. So it's like, it's essentially learning a brand new skill. It's not like a complimentary. It's good to know, don't get me wrong, but it's not complimentary to what it is that you have going on. Like if you're focused on SMS and email marketing all day, like that takes a completely different side of your brain than sitting down and like looking through bank statements and figuring out what to do with what. It's just personally, I think that if you're really good at something, like continue to double, triple down on it. This is one of those ancillary tasks that you can absolutely outsource. And if you outsource to somebody that's good, I'm biased, but I think that we're great. It's going to make your life way easier. Everything is going to be way more smooth. Yeah. Uh, it's, but the financial it's, literacy, like basic financial literacy when it comes to understanding your books is totally different than you like diving into them and doing it yourself. I think at the core level, you shouldn't be doing it yourself. This is something that you need to outsource. It's very necessary, but too cumbersome for you to handle yourself. But there are core metrics from your business and your books that you absolutely have to understand as a business owner, whether you're doing $1,000 in sales a month or you're doing $1,000 a minute. Like, it doesn't matter. You need to know these things to know how to operate. Yep. Yep, definitely. And uh, I love the point. I just have to re uh, rehash what you said. It's a, it's a totally different skill inside of the brain. Uh, if you're doing email design and ad campaigns and talking to customers, that's much different than crunching numbers and figuring stuff out. So I love that point that you made there. Um, and you tooted your own horn, which is good because uh, you have an, you've told me that you have a 97.3% client retention rate at audit. And so that is that seems very high for agencies. And I think anyone who's been a freelancer, a consultant, an agency will say that's quite high. What is yeah. what do you feel are some of the contributing factors or reasons behind that so far? One, I think that the business is very sticky. Like if you if you have somebody doing your books, transferring over to another person is quite annoying and it takes a lot of time. There's there's a lot of ways to get to the final product with accuracy we do it a very specific way like we have our own formula i curated it it works it works across several brands so we're good there but transferring it over from one person to the other is tough a second thing is that i don't think a lot of people consider it's like we quite literally have access to all of your bank accounts all of your business operations all of your vendors everything that you have going on so there's a lot of trust that's involved. So you might not be able to trust somebody 
even though they offer deliver service, like if you get a weird feeling from them, or maybe you don't like working with big corporations that aggregate your data, whatever the case may be, like that's one part of it. The second part of it is we do a really good job. There's a reason that our retention is so high. Fun fact, over the past four months, we've onboarded, I think, close to 60 clients. We've had one client offboard. And the reason that that client offboarded is because they fired their CFO. They just got a new, a new round of funding. And the new CFO that came in was like, I want to handle this internally. So it wasn't even something that we did wrong. It was just they changed the structure of their business and their leadership team. But yeah, it's just I think it's those two things. It's sticky and it's trust. If you're doing a great job and you're delivering what you're supposed to deliver in a timely manner, there's no reason that anybody should leave. That communication, trust, expectation setting, and then meeting those expectations are all huge. Yeah, so, those things are really important. I'm glad that you brought that up. Like we're really big with communication. Every single one of our clients are in a Slack channel with us. They can get a hold of us whenever they want to. We assign a dedicated bookkeeper. We assign a dedicated customer success manager. So the people that you're working with, you get to know really, really well. And the way that we like to manage people's books is by completely gutting and creating a new infrastructure and a foundation. Once we do that and they see that everything's going on and they see that we're very easy to communicate with and we get on a monthly call with them and go over anything that's going on or even in between that month, if anything is of concern and you reach out to us, you have an answer literally within 30 minutes. So aside from just offering a wonderful end product, like the customer experience is very rich. Like if you're doing $500,000 or a million dollars in sales every single month, like these are the things that you need to take seriously. Like we're literally managing everything that's going on in your business. You should be able to get a hold of somebody very quickly. With a typical CPA, one, they don't know dick about direct-to-consumer. It's such a difficult space to bookkeep for or account for. Second to that, it's like, you have a question, you reach out to a secretary, they reach out to the CPA, four days later, you receive an answer. By then, like, you forgot what your question was in the first place, so. And that, if that answer is even answering it fully, answering every question, one part of it, totally, man. Uh, that, exactly that makes right. a ton of sense. Exactly right. So I feel like I feel like this is a big infomercial of what we're doing at Audit. <laughs> no, 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 uh, all good, it, it just, uh, my questions let, let it this way. Uh, you did not pitch me on this or anything. So uh, it's, this is all good stuff because I want to ask now is uh, you were an operator of a brand and and you work with a bunch of brand founders. Yes. If a brand founder is looking to hire a partner, not even just a bookkeeping partner, a marketing agency, a graphic designer, an email person, like what sort of traits or process or tips can you provide to make sure that they hire the right fit for them? We actually help out a lot in that space with like, I guess it's partnerships, but it's not really partnerships, but we've personally used so many softwares and we see all of the softwares that people are using in the direct to consumer space. So if somebody wants to use somebody like there's a trusted network that I have that I'll recommend them to, but what I, what I think it really comes down to is like not so much software, but more so agencies like vet the people that you're working with, like really vet them and try to not work on retainers and focus more on performance based. 
everybody on any type of pitch is going to sell you the dream, right? We're the best at this because of X, Y, Z. We can give you a 40X ROAS on whatever it is that you have going on, or you're a graphic designer, like a photography studio, or whatever the case may be. These proven metrics give you whatever thumb stop, give you whatever watch time, give you whatever this and that. It'll boost your ROAS by what it's like. All of it is great in theory, but it's like, if you're making all these claims, prove it. And once you prove it, I will pay you. And it's like, I like to do structures like that. And I always recommend to anybody that I'm working with, it's like, these are the people that I work with, they're great, but only work with a performance basis. And I even say that to the people that I love and admire. And it's not because I don't want them to make money, but it's because I personally believe if you're not meeting or exceeding somebody's expectation, like don't fucking pay them because they pitched you on something. They sold you on it. Now you can't deliver on it. Why do you deserve anything? But the people that do deliver pay them well, because the people that are creating your ads or doing your media buying or whatever in the realm of direct to consumer, they are bringing up your top line and hopefully bringing up your bottom line too. So if these people are helping you make money for you to put money into your own pocket, they should be compensated accordingly. Uh, I really appreciate your perspective on that. Um, it's uh, there's a lot of agencies and people that pop up and like they took a course, they started an agency and they're just copying and pasting the template from the course and trying to get the clients and, Oh, this is how you do it. This is like, this is what works hundred percent of the time. And, uh, it, it leads to a lot of noise. And so it's vet, vet a lot of noise and it puts a bad taste in people's mouth, which is unfortunate because I know that you've been a slick media buyer for a really long time, but I'm sure you've had conversations where it's like, Oh, what do you do? Oh, I'm a media buyer. Like, Oh, like you're managing social media. Like what? So it, it's, it stains what it is that you're doing because of all the noise. But the good news is if you're good, you're really good and people recognize you for it and you can make a very good living that way. Yep. Yeah. Uh, you, especially if on our little corner of D2C Twitter and uh, some of the networks and stuff we're in, uh, it's like word of mouth is huge. Uh, it's, it's just referrals. If like, Oh, a brand and brand founders know each other. The freelancers and agencies all know each other. So it's like, um, just do a good job and uh, you'll stand out. So speaking of money in and money out, when you're onboarding clients or you've been working with them for a couple months, what are typically some of the categories or areas that are like the biggest surprise to like founders? Like, oh, wait, I'm spending that much on uh, customer acquisition or like, oh, wait, I'm, I'm, we're underspending here. You know, like what's I... what are some of the big surprises? I love this one. What I see fundamentally is people spending so much on software, like ungodly amounts of software. And then the same thing with all types of different agencies. So just what we talked about, like the, the reason being is because normal bookkeepers don't categorize them the way that they need to be categorized. Like we break them up, right? Like media agency, SEO agency, freelancers, graphic design, video, photography, virtual assistants, customer service reps. Like, so at any given time, when you open up your PL, you see exactly what you have spending. But people will look at something and be like, holy shit, like I spent $30,000 on 
SEO and PR over the past three months. And I haven't even talked to them once. Like I haven't received a single email. Like, what am I doing? Or with software, it's like, I can't believe that I've been charged X amount by, for example, like Clavio. They're charging me like $800, but I should really be on like a $200 plan. And this has gone on for the past eight months. And I had no idea what's happening. That happens all the time. And it's like, if you just took one look, not even at like your books, like your bank statements, you could just X-nay that thing immediately. And it's like, oh, now I have an extra $800 in my pocket every single month. That's literally $10,000 a year in my pocket. But it's like when you're growing so fast, like you don't really know what the fuck is going on, right? As an operator, you're throwing shit at a wall and seeing what sticks. And all you care about is, like I said, like I need to buy this product. I'm spending this much on ads. How much more can I increase the next week? And that's what it is. So all of these little things slip through the cracks. But once you take a look at it, you're like, holy shit, like I could literally be saving $10,000, $20,000 a month. Yeah. That's, oh, I've got, I'm very glad I asked because uh, I recently went through a lot of my subscriptions and software and stuff. And I was like, wow, what, what where, am did I doing all the, here? where did all these come from? And right. I, I saved so much money. Uh, and so um, that's one of those things. It's opportunity cost, right? You're like, oh, I want to keep growing and growing and growing. But at a certain point, especially if you're able to hire or get help for these books and these financial stuff, that will like cut the cost and you get your savings back and then you just give it to someone else to worry about it so that you're spending this money every month for them to help you manage the money, but then also save you money. So it's what a, I always uh, tell yeah. people is, and it's so funny that you brought this up. I'm like, this is essentially a free service and I'll tell you why one, we're going to save you money on your federal tax obligations. So you don't pay uncle Sam, whatever it is that you're going to pay. Second to that is we're going to find all these things that you're overspending on, bring it to you on a platter. You ax those not only are we a free service, we're saving you money and we're putting money back into your pocket. So it's to me, it's a no brainer. And I think that that's why we have like no resistance, because I tell them if we can't do these things, I'll literally set everything up right within 30 days. Ask me for your money back if you don't think that this is a good fit and I'll give it to you 100 percent of it. And you get to keep all of the findings that we've given you. And when you offer a service like that, that buys back somebody's time, puts money back into their pocket, make sure that they don't get audited. No pun intended. It's a no brainer. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. Uh, no pun, pun. I think the pun was intended. Uh, or at least I, <laughs> I took it that way. Uh, that's a great way to look at it. And I think that's um, why I've been trying to get different types of people like on as guests for the show. And um Everyone's talked to the same media buyers and the marketing agencies and brand founders and tell their stories. But like, this is like, this is huge. This is like, low, this is low key. This is boring. Like finance, finance topics are boring, but it's so important. Um, so I want to bring, bring back up some more uh, capital thing. You mentioned Shopify capital. And so things like Wayflyer, Clear, there's a bunch yep. of them. Yep. Settle, you know, there's Ram, a bunch. So, yeah. So what, like, what are your thoughts around these type of things? When should people be leveraging them? Who is it best for? That, that, let's, like, let's kind of go back and forth on that a little bit. I literally ask myself this question every single day. I have debates about this in my head every single day. Because 
<laughs> I always get people that ask me, uh, my clients, but then also like fundamentally, who really needs it? Here's what my rule of thumb is. When your sales are being held back because you can't keep inventory, I think is a great place for you to start looking at loan payables because acquisition at this point is not your problem. It's fulfilling the actual product that people are purchasing. That's a really, really good place to be in. And I think that when you're in that moment, it could be, I don't know, it could last for a month, three months, a year, but maybe it's something that's cyclical. Like you want to take advantage of the opportunity that's given to you. So you got to hop on it and it's so, there's like no barrier to entry anymore with Shopify Capital or ClearBank or Ramp or Brex. They will just give you money so you can fuel these inventory purchases and hit it to the hills. What I see people improperly using it for is like they know that the cost of acquisition is going to be higher than what their break even is. And I don't know how many months it's going to take for them to break even. It could be three months, four months, five months. Like that's what we're typically seeing right now if you have a subscription product. So people that think that they have a great idea will take out this line of credit mm -hmm. through Shopify Capital, ClearCo, Ramp, Brex, whatever the case may be, right? Spend $60,000 on ads in one month, like first month in, literally month zero, and they got like 20 customers. And they're like, how the fuck am I gonna pay this back? And now that company went to shit. The person that took out that line of credit or that credit card or whatever working capital that they have can't pay it back. And now all of the companies that funded them that money are never going to get it back. So this becomes a cyclical thing that gets really dark really quickly. Right? And I personally think that institutions have too strict of requisites when it comes to handing out money. I think that these new fintech companies have too little restriction when it comes to handing out money. You need to find a nice balance of in between where it's like, okay, like even though you haven't been a business for X amount of years or you don't want to give a personal guarantee because you may not have great credit, but your business is thriving, like this makes sense. But What's the sweet point where it's like we trust you enough and we can give you money without like dicking ourselves down? And how can the business owner spend that money without being a degenerate and doing it irresponsibly to where they put themselves in the hole at day one? It's it's tricky, again, because like people don't really understand finance. It's like, oh, I can get all this free money and do something with it. They tend to forget that's like, fuck, like I have to pay this back. Right. And when you can't pay it back is when this debt cycle begins. And it's just it's a nightmare. And I've seen it happen. And we've helped countless customers be like, yo, like we need to literally and we don't even need to do this as bookkeepers. We just do it out of the goodness of our heart. Like you need to restructure your loan payables. Because one, you're buying way too much inventory, you're not spending enough on ads and acquisition, this and that. Like, let's restructure this. So you don't buy inventory, you make the sales, but a piece of that money comes out of your bank account every single day or every single time something happens on a cadence so you can pay these payables back. Otherwise, you're just going to shoot yourself in the foot and you're never going to be able to grow.
Yeah. But yeah, yeah, there's, so, there's, yeah, there's no right or wrong question or right or wrong answer to this because it's, it's so subjective. But I think to sum it all up, if there's a sweet spot in between of readily available and too hard to come by, make a good meeting of that. And I think people will be a lot happier. You're going to grow the economy that way. Businesses are actually going to scale without sucking up their cash flow. And then they're going to start spending more and more and more money with you as an institution. So now everybody gets paid all along the way. But if you give out money too fast, it all gets sucked up. If you don't give up money fast enough, it all gets sucked up. Yeah, I think that's a really uh, good way to point you made about before uh, big banks, old banks are like, oh, can't give you money. You've been you've only been around for six months. Now it's like the new the new guys are like, oh, here's money. Here you go. Handing it out. So I think, like you said, there's there's some sort of middle ground we need to find. Um, I think fundamentally, like it was way hard, like these big banks and institutions are used to how business used to be operated. It's never been easier to have an idea, iterate it, have something that sticks and scale it really quickly in a really short amount of time. And these are viable businesses now, but they're not used to that. And they're like, this could be a one and done, but it's just like, this is the paradigm shift that people can literally make something happen out of nothing really quickly. And somebody needs to focus on that for all lines of business and vectors, not just D to C, but mm -hmm. it, the new fintech companies are coming up and this is what's happening. And I think it'll be exciting to see what happens in the next few years. Yeah. Yeah. That's really um, a really good perspective on the more zooming back out there. Um, and I think the last thing I'll just pitch in uh, and I'll add is um, what's your goal? Like, are you trying to like scale and grow and in 12, 24 months exit and sell and peace out? Or are you trying to hold on to this thing and like work on this brand for the next seven years? Like knowing that is probably a huge part of it. I think we would all be liars if we said that we wouldn't want a big exit, but that's not what fuels me. Like you said it best. This is a boring business, but for whatever reason, like I wake up and run to the office because I'm excited about it. And I think what excites me about it is the satisfaction that you get knowing what you've done for a business owner. And it's not like we're working with small businesses. Like our sweet spot is between like three to $8 million in revenue a year. So you're making like, how do I want to, like you see the difference in what's going on in their business. And that's really exciting. And I'm a big believer in like, I, this is a straight Alex Hormozy line, but I've cemented yep. in my brain. Simple scales, fancy fails. I don't need to have a really fancy business that offers all of these different products. We offer bookkeeping. We're really good at it. It's really sticky. As you scale, we scale with you. And I, there's no, there's a never ending funnel of people that we can acquire to bring onto our wing why wouldn't I want to stick around here? Like, this is wonderful. I, but it would be really cool if we get acquired, but I don't have that in my trajectory. Like we've been, we've been cash flow positive and profitable since our second month. And there hasn't been a single month since then where we haven't grown and become more profitable. So I'm like, why? Like, this is a unicorn business. Why would I not want to stick around for this? Yep. But what really uh, fueled me to answer your question is 
it makes me really happy seeing that what we're doing is making a difference in other people's lives. That And that's so cliche, but it really is like, I have all these correspondences with these business owners and they're like, Oh my God, like this has been a game changer. Holy shit. Like you saved us $70,000 and what we had to pay in taxes. Like you can't tell me that's not a good feeling. No, that's amazing. That's, that's wonderful. Like I love seeing the impact and like, um, and you hearing it from the brand owners, like their job is hard enough. Like you're just trying to make it a little easier for them. So that's, that's oh, really cool. So, so much shit going on. Like if so there's many any, things. we just want to buy back your time at the end of the day, like again, double down on what you're really good at so you can double your sales and then we can save you double the money that you're going to be spending on taxes. And it's like, now you made four X by one simple decision. And you may think like those metrics are crazier. They're exaggerated. They're not. Like that's really how it operates. So we're happy to be the the finance nerds on the back end. Yeah, no, good. The, someone's got to do it. And uh, like you said, simple, simple scales. Um, and boring, boring isn't bad. <laughs> if, if if it's boring to someone else, then that just that's just opportunity for you. So. Boring to them, and it's incredibly sexy to me. <laughs> one what, one man's trash is another man's treasure. Kind of that's deal exactly there. Right. Um, awesome, man. Okay. So let's, um, okay. Let's talk a little bit more about, um, like seasonality or like changes throughout the year. So, and like just general, like right now we're in the recession and all this stuff and right. And so we're in, as of the recording this early July. So like, how does your work or how does your correspondence or how does things change when there's about to be a big push? Cause it's a, it's a bikini brand. So that's like summertime, right? Or it's like, okay, we got to get ready for Q4. We got the black Friday. That's like where 70% of our revenue comes in. Like, how do you deal like, and how do you work with brands around kind of those bigger events or kind of changes like that? Those bigger events that you would see as like a media buyer, or a brand owner, isn't that important to what we have going on because it's the same exact thing. It's just more of the same exact thing. Mm. Does that make sense? But to speak upon seasonality, like we have very different approaches for how we're going to reach out to a potential prospect dependent on the season. For example, if it's the beginning of the year, we're like, hey, like if you didn't have your books clean the year prior, we can do that for you. Second quarter, it's like, hey, if you don't have your books ready for tax season, we can get it ready for you. If it's the third quarter, it's like, hey, you're about to get geared up for Q4. Like if you need this, it's better to happen now than later because then you're really not going to know what the fuck's going on. Then we just continue on with that thing. And it's interesting because – we're in an industry where everybody absolutely 100% needs it. Not because I think that we're so important, but because the IRS is going to come after you and be like, you need to fucking file your taxes. Right? So it's a matter of getting somebody at the right time and like speaking to their needs to get them. So that's how we look at seasonality. But okay. naturally during Q4, like if we have one person that's handling the books, we'll have another person looking at it because it's not so much like 80% of our customers are fine, but the other 20% that really ramp up, 
we need to offer extra bandwidth. And we do it really at no extra cost. We bring somebody in so we can make our lives more efficient on the back end and to make sure that we're still meeting and exceeding their expectations with what we promised. But from seasonality, that's really what it looks like. And when it comes to a recession, I have a lot of thoughts about this because I'm, I'm balls deep in markets. Yeah. I've, been, I've been in the financial markets for several years. I still, every single morning, my alarm clock is the NASDAQ bell. And I, <laughs> and I trade, I swear to God, hand on Bible. I trade for the first two hours of every single morning, every single day. That is how I wake up. That's my alarm clock. So That's when it comes to the recession and what it does to our business, like, first of all, we're working with businesses that are quite established, right? So we don't have like, we don't have a lot of fall off from people that are like trying to make it or like they're very seasonal or this, that, and the other, like we're pretty good there, but even if their sales scale back, so do their software costs that they don't really need. So do like maybe they had excessive PR that they don't really need or maybe they were spending too much on media buying that they don't really need. They still won't have the ability to bring in bookkeeping in-house. And even if they did, it would probably be more expensive than what we would charge because we figured out economies of scale and we have a really nice aggressive price point in the marketplace. So again, this is a hundred percent necessity, whether the market's doing well or whether the market's shit, you still need to file your taxes. It's all of the other stuff that like, isn't their core competence. It's like, oh, it's nice to have PR. It's nice to have seven extra customer service agents. It's nice to have the enterprise solution of this software, even though I don't really fucking use it. These are all the things that get cut back first. Like, we're a foundational part of the business that really needs to stick there. So what's going on with the recession? Zero churn so far. That's not a bullshit metric. Zero churn so far. And if somebody comes in and says, hey, like, we're trying to dial back and be more accommodating because this is what's happening with our sales, blah, blah, blah. Can you give us a little bit of a discount? And like, hey, I need like $100, $200 cut off. I think to myself, one, is this a pleasant customer to deal with? Because if they are, then I think about lifetime value. And I'm like, I'd way rather have the majority of this monthly income coming in than shaving off $100, $200 a month. Yeah, no problem. We're very accommodating to that. And we'll say, hey, for the next quarter, this is what we'll do. Then after that, we'll go back to what's normal. Or maybe we'll do it for two quarters and then we'll go back. Or maybe if your sales spike, we'll go back, whatever the case may be. We try to keep it really interpersonal. At the end of the day, we have all of our sales pricing on our website and like that's what it is. But if somebody actually needs to be accommodated rather than like, oh, I just want a discount, we're happy to accommodate. The people that are like, oh, I want a discount, I just won't work with you. I don't need your money. Yeah. You need my service more than I need your money. So yep. good yeah, luck finding no. something else. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense, man. And uh I'm sure you have a bit of a more empathy and perspective as a previous founder and brand owner. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I'm sure that comes into play there. And so I'm going to say my little, uh, we're going to start landing the plane uh, last couple of minutes here before we wrap up. Um, we got 20 minutes. You're good. No, it's okay. It's all good. Um, so wait, I lost my train of thought now. Okay. So, 
as a as a founder now like agency provider you're like you're like kind of in both of you've been in both of the shoes both of the worlds absolutely what, yeah what what do you what do you like what do you wish you could tell yourself when you were like in the first couple months of starting your brand now that you've experienced all this stuff like i want to drop some few little are tips are you talking about owning the agency or talking about direct to consumer uh d to c yeah like as a brand, brand founder like knowing what you've been through now and help helping all these other brand founders. Holy shit. <laughs> That's such a loaded question. Wow. <laughs> Dude, there's so many. I was such, I think anybody that gets into the direct to consumer space fucks everything up for the first couple of years <laughs> thinking that like, they're so slick. I, Slick, not in a bad way, like not like sleazy, but like thinking yeah. like, oh, I got it all figured out. I would put a lot of emphasis on branding. I would put a lot of emphasis on organic social. And I'll tell you why. Acquisition is great, but acquisition will never become more affordable. It will always become more expensive and stickier. If that's your one source that you're going to rely on, like... I'm just going to spend X amount on ad spend. I'm going to get X amount of ROAS. This is how I'm going to make my money. For the most part, you're going to fail. Like that was okay in 2015, 2016, 2017, right? Because that's just what the landscape was. That's not the landscape anymore. And I think there's a big difference between selling a product and building a brand. There's a lot more enterprise value in building a brand. Again, that exit that everybody dreams about, right? If you don't have a brand, that's never going to happen. If you don't have a brand, you're not going to have customer retention. If you don't have a brand, you're not going to have word of mouth. And these are all of the things that offset the cost of acquisition and the cost of acquisition always rising. Second thing I would say is be a really good copywriter. Like that's really big. Be a good copywriter and don't try to be a hero and learn every single skill set. Understand what you're good at, triple down on it, and then outsource everything else that you need or bring it on internally. I'd rather give up a small sliver of equity and bring on a rock star because they're going to start making decisions for me and they're going to grow the brand with the skill set that I'm not necessarily good with than me being like, oh, I want to retain my equity. I have all this ego. I can figure it out. But what ends up happening is like the opportunity cost. If you're really good at acquisition, but now you're focusing on copywriting, which you're not really good at, now you're spending time away from what makes you the money because you have an ego. So those are the things that I would work on. Build a brand, organic social, triple down on what you're good at, outsource what it is that you're not good at, and be really good at copywriting because copywriting goes directly into ads. It goes directly into your website. It goes directly into your email campaigns. It goes directly into SMS. And it's your train of acquisition and selling people without being in front of them to sell them. It's so invaluable. Your words are your 24-7 sales force. <laughs> They're the words that say on your website all day, all day, all night. They're in your ads. They're in your email. And we're selling online. Like you're not in-person greeting each per, like, per right. customer that walks in your store. Like the automated email follow-up, like, hey, like we just got your order. Thanks so much. Like that's all the opportunities for your tone and your voice and your brand. 
So I'm really glad you said that about copywriting. And it's, and it copywriting isn't like, oh man, it's not, it's not this like clever, it's not necessarily trying to be clever and tricky and smart. It's knowing what, I think it's knowing what like you're really good at and just met, like creating the right message to explain why you're really good at that. Like this is our brand, this is our product. I like, agree. and it's not like, oh, um, you're trying to come up with some clever like Nike just do it line that's like super iconic and like viral. Like those are the moonshots. Like that's the one in a hundred, right? Like not like just communicate your message clearly. So I'm really glad you brought up copywriting as one of the I skills. think a big problem, not just for the direct-to-consumer space, but just for like humans in general is that humans have a really hard time of communicating with one another. There's so much, um, you know, fill in words. You don't know how to get your point across. You don't speak concise. Like all of these things trickle down into people not being able to communicate with one another, which makes grasping a message incredibly difficult, which makes copywriting incredibly difficult. What you'll tend to notice is the individuals that are really good at copywriting are really good speakers. Not only are they eloquent, but they're short, sweet to the point. They're not trying to be a fancy pants Shakespearean fuck when they're talking to you. They just know how to get their point across. And that's something that I, I it's a disconnect between people. Like the better you write, the better you speak. The better you speak, the better you write. You have to be really conscious of all of these aspects. You have, it has to be top of mind all the time. But when you start developing that skill, you'll realize you'll become a better human. You'll become a better salesperson. Everything starts to click like all around your life, not just I'm going to write this copy for this ad and we're going to hope for a two plus row as all aspects. It's all encompassing. So communication for me is the biggest thing ever. Like you did not hear me say um once in this conversation and it's not because it's by chance, it's by choice, and I'm very cognizant of it. And my sales team, don't say ums. When you're writing emails out to people, pretend a fifth grader's reading it. Make your intention very clear. And then everything becomes better. That clarity is huge. When you're writing, when you're making sure, like especially in like customer service, customer uh, experience kind of uh, areas. I just said, uh, now, now I'm like overthinking the shit out of it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, but if you know that if they feel heard and feel listened to, even if they have a problem and you, and they felt like you took the time to listen to them, understand them, address every pain point, every issue that came up. Oh, you didn't include this shirt I bought and I bought three shirts. And I only got two in the box and kind of this, like this other issue or this size was off. If you address every single point clearly and are kind and concise and make it human, then they're much more likely to, okay, cool. Thanks. I'll come back and buy with you. I'll leave a review. I'll tell someone instead that's of like exactly blasting you on social. Right. That's exactly right. And that's what people miss out on. If you are empathetic towards somebody, you accept that something was wrong, especially in the world of customer service, you accept that something was wrong. Not only do you fulfill them, you acknowledge it and you give them a little bonus of whatever, like, Hey, sorry for missing out on your shirt to stay on par with your example. 
I'm going to throw in another gift for you. That's what makes your brand your brand. That's what makes it incredibly exciting. Those are the people that are going to spend 10x what they just spent that one time with you and tell all of your friends about it. Clear communication and not being an asshole goes a really long way. Clear communication and not being an asshole. The bar is not high, but uh, man, uh, that's great. That's a great way to kind of round that point out. So I wake up every single morning to the NASDAQ bell and I think, how can I not be an asshole today? And how can I not say the word, um, and that's why we are where we are today. A <laughs> <laughs> oh, new morning routine coming out. Uh, everyone's going right. to follow, follow that just every morning tweet. Don't be an asshole. Clear communication. Uh, yeah, that's great. Okay. So, uh, anything that we missed? that you want to talk about a little bit, anything you want to go back over. Uh, otherwise, I think we're getting to a, a good place to wrap up. There's nothing off the top of my head. No, I think we've covered the direct-to-consumer space well. I gave my elevator pitch on what audit is and why I really believe in what it is that we do. I, I'm excited for the space. I've always been excited for direct-to-consumer. I will always be excited for the agencies and the people that are essentially the foundation for direct-to-consumer. I think we're going to continue growing, whether we're in a recessed economy or not, doesn't matter. Obviously, the people, here's what happens in a recession. The people that suck will die. The people that are good will continue being good, and they'll eventually evolve into being great, right? So I look forward to that because it washes out all of the bullshit, and it opens up a brand new pathway for more opportunity not only for the people that are really good, but for the up and comers that have refined their craft. They're like, okay, now I'm ready to take this leap. So cut the bullshit, open up the opportunity and the people that are good are going to become great. And I'm just excited to see what happens. And really my goal is I want to have a thousand people by the end of next year under our wing. So if we can have a thousand customers, I think that would be an incredible place I'm going to shout out my competitors. There's Bench and there's Pilot. And I think that we can blow both of them out of the water, fully bootstrapped. I'm incredibly competitive and I'm literally gunning. Like in front of me right now, I have a printout of, not Audit. I have a printout of Pilot and I have a printout of Bench and I have a big X across them because I want to seek and destroy. And that's just the way that I am. I want to win. I want to serve people. I want to make a difference and just keep kicking ass and taking names. If people resonated with this episode, with your message, with what you had to say, with your competitiveness, with your candidness, where can people find you? Where do you want to send them to plug away? I just made a Twitter this year. Like I really don't care about recognition. I just go in there and shoot shit with some of the boys. And that's what, <laughs> that's what it's for. And once in a while you might get a gem that, that you resonate with, but you can just find me on Twitter. It's at Saman is a DR S A M A N I Z A D I Y A R. I know bear with me. I didn't choose my name. I'm just, I'm stuck with it, but that's where you can find me. And I'll be shooting the shit about finance, about, stocks about direct to consumer about agencies and anything else that pops up in my mind there really is no set in stone this is the vibe you're just going to get a hundred percent of me and if that's what you appreciate you can find me there 
And then audit, again, one more time, is O-T-T-I-T. OTTIT.com. We service on a cash and accrual business for fast-growing e-commerce businesses in the direct-to-consumer space. That's all we focus on. That's all we know. We keep it boring. We keep it simple to us. We keep it sexy. If you're doing anywhere between one to $8 million, I'm your guy, and I look forward to serving you. Thanks so much, man. Really appreciate it. Everyone else, thanks for listening. Uh, really means a lot and uh, hope you hopefully catch you on the next episode. Peace.